the Irish curated archive of scary stories, and taped episodes of Quantum Leap, proudly presents a reading of The Limerick Shanker. Written by Liam Sheehan, whilst wearing a very handsome t-shirt that he got for his birthday. Narrated by Liam Sheehan, whilst wearing that same t-shirt, but he uses it as pyjamas these days. The Limerick Shanker Chapter 1 of 1 County Limerick, 11pm, or thereabouts. The scene that opens this sordid tale, this spine-chilling histoire, is writ in the blackest ink. A starless sky goffs down on a lonely, miserable little bus shelter, with nary a soul about to inject this putrid corpse of a place with even an itty-bitty dram of life. Nary a soul, except for one. One soul, one guy, there's one guy there basically. Lorcan Connolly's bum was aching from the grubby plastic seat that it was perched on. He was a stranger in these lands, an interloper if you will, and quite the reluctant one. He had brought himself to such a lonely bus shelter at such a lonely hour to finally be shut of this limerick. But the Meshuggah bus had yet to arrive to carry him away. It was supposed to arrive at 5 to 11, fucking 5 past now. He supposed that in these lands, the bus drivers must have been an unruly, unreliable lot, who treated the sanctity of a schedule with only bitter disregard. Indeed, they spat on the entire notion of a schedule, no doubt. Metaphorically, yes, but also maybe literally? Because there was a timetable on the bus shelter that looked like it had been spat on. It might have been faded bird shit, but you never know. This sort of carry-on would not have occurred where Lorcan came from. Oh no, not in his golden home. Not in his veritable Garden of Eden. Not in mighty Dublin, where all the buses ran on time, where the bus drivers greeted you with the warmest of smiles, or maybe even finger guns if you were lucky, and where the Lewis, oh the Lewis, how it skated about the intricate tapestry that was the Dublin city streets with unwavering dependability, like everyone's happy friend who was also a tram. Seven minutes past now, what a crock. The night that enveloped Lorcan and the bus shelter was impossibly dark and dreary, as quiet as a graveyard full of mimes. He leaned forward to angrily check if he could spot the distant glimmer of headlights, if buses even had headlights in this bloody place. But the road before him was naught but that infinite darkness, and Lorcan found himself struck by a strange notion, that the view before him seemed almost like the gaping maw of a great cave opening, and past its black threshold was an intestine-like labyrinth that swallowed any and all light whole even though it was a road he was looking at and definitely not a big cave. He turned up the collar of his coat, for there was a chill clinging to the air, like a million poking fingertips, and the wispy tendrils of a ghostly fog were beginning to skulk about at shin level. It was dry though, which was good because rain had been forecast. But what of this man, I hear you ask? Lorcan Connolly was an aging, balding, pudgy man, with squinty, tired eyes, with pursed, cracking lips with hair in his nose, with hair in his ears, with a big old arse. He made a humble if unremarkable living in one of Dublin's many monolith-like office buildings. Parker's Knives and Forks was the name of his workplace, which dealt in the production and selling of knives to all of Dublin's illustrious restaurants. Surprisingly though, despite the name, didn't deal in forks. 
It wasn't a life that a young Lorcan would have dreamed of, but here was a man grown who had long given up on climbing towards any dreams, for his arms had grown weak and tired with age. His muscles could no longer lift him any higher. And perhaps I'm straining the climbing metaphor here, but he had let slip the grappling hook of youthful optimism. In any case, he had long ago, perhaps with some initial resentment, resigned himself to a life of comfortable mediocrity at the oozing teeth of Balia Ahaclea, open parentheses, Dublin, close parentheses. Yet here he was in Limerick, where shadows ruled. Why? Well, I suppose I could tell you, even though it's not very important. It'll be good window addressing, I guess. He was doing a favour for his doting old mama, whose oldest friend, Mildred, lived in Limerick. Mildred had recently thrown her back out during a particularly intense game of Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Siege. So he had spent the better part of the weekend with her, helping the old girl out, doing the dishes, struggling with her outrageous accent. Why do I have to go, Mom? He had protested. I don't know Mildred, she was never part of my life. For shame, Lorkin, his sweet, ancient mama had replied. Mildred breastfed you when you were but a babe. I didn't know that. Why didn't you breastfeed me? His mother's finger became a jagged, pointed thing then. Because you were my firstborn son, and I wanted the best for you. I would have died. Do you hear me? I would have died before I allowed my firstborn son to drink from these horrible tits. Then and now, I knew your lips would not run befouled the fucking custard that I produce. But Mildred's milk was the good shit. The premium shit. As fresh as morning dew, and as smooth as Michael Jackson before all that business. So I had you drink of her, so that you would be strong, my boy. Strong, my boy! So that was why Lorcan Connolly was in Limerick on that faithful night. I could have left that part out. Window dressing be damned, that, that could have went. <clears throat> Damnable bus, Lorcan muttered, staring with disbelief at a quarter past eleven on his wristwatch. Or on his Fitbit. I'll leave that up to the listener, whichever one feels more natural. He looked about the dirty little bus shelter with a contempt that furrowed his brow and made him all pouty. Knowing his luck, this place would turn out to be one of those cottages he had heard about. And long before a bus deigned to grace him with its presence, some shifty fella with a comb over and a hunger would sidle up and give him the old wink wink nudge nudge, literally probably, before gesturing to his own lap in the manner of someone presenting a surprise birthday cake. Expecting Lorcan to just go ballistic on him. And any offence taken towards such a misunderstanding would be considered rude these days. It's political correctness gone mad. Lorcan had heard Clarkson say that phrase on a travelogue programme he had hosted on the current state of certain old pubs in Soho, and had since been getting great mileage out of it. But wait! Suddenly, there was a noise. Because something had to happen at this point in the story. It broke into the night silence like an inebriated burglar hopped up on goofballs, which is a type of drug, I think. Its suddenness caused Lorcan's instincts to make an absolute show of themselves. He bolted straight up, just as his hand shot straight down, clutching the bottom of his seat as if he needed to stabilize himself against just how gosh darn startling that noise had been. If he had to describe the noise, and he didn't have to, he was alone, his brain just conceptualized it, but if he had to describe it, he would have likened it to the groaning of a rusty hinge on an old door or the groaning of a sick cat's forlorn meow. Opening your rusty back door to let your sick cat out so it can go shit or puke or die or whatever. That's the sort of sound this was. He leaned forward and darted his head to the left, and then to the right, but he was not scanning the gloom for a bus now. 
Oh no, he searched for the unknown, and he saw nothing. And then, just as suddenly as the mystery door cat noise had come, a thought came barging into Lorcan's brain box. And the thought, or memory even, because it was a memory so it was a memory, sent a shiver through him that had nothing at all to do with the nice cold, and it caused him to say out loud, Oh, jeepers. Which is something he had never said before, so you know he meant it. That Friday just gone. During another day of nourishing toil at Parker's Knives and Forks, not long before he was due to figuratively set sail for Limerick, Lorcan had regaled a handful of co-workers with his upcoming weekend plans in the tried and true ritual of shit office banter. Most of them could not have cared less, but one co-worker had perked up upon hearing where Lorcan's destination lay. It was old Barney Bumpimple, the oldest of all the Parker's Knives and Forks employees. He was a cantankerous old sot, with a big tangly grey beard and hunchback. No one quite knew exactly what the old boy's actual job was, but it was agreed on by all that he was to be regarded as some sort of fixture, like an office pet or a communal water fountain. As Lorcan was making the trip to the photocopier to make paper, I don't know, never worked in an office, old Barney Bumpable cornered him. Did I? <coughs> Did I? <coughs> no, 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 sorry. Uh, author's note, uh, this isn't part of the story, this is... Uh, I had a voice for this old fella planned, uh, I was practicing it and everything, but to be honest with you, I was singing in the choir in mass last Sunday, and I banjaxed my larynx on Here I Am Lord, fucking uh, Margaret Foley was trying to sing louder than me, again, but I fucking showed her. She was obviously just trying to impress Father Michaels, the new parishioner, but um, he's far too much of a constant professional to uh, ever single her out like that. Uh, her showboating really just brought the whole team down, brought the whole mass down. So I'll do a bit of an inflection for the old guy, but um, yeah, nothing too extreme. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Did I hear right? Barney Bumpimple said, in a voice that really was quite gravelly. You mean to stride the black border and enter Limerick? Uh, yeah, I have to, Lorcan replied. It's a whole thing. Ho ho ho. What? Oh ho ho. What? The of that place. The Limerickese. They live with a lot of evils, you know. They do? They do. For to hail from that land is to make a bedfellow of evil. For example, they must endure the bitterest of all Irish winters, where the crops die in the ground before they can live to become bountiful, and babies and pets alike freeze into big ice cubes and slide away down country roads never to be seen again. They live amidst an epidemic of senseless crime, each and every one of Limerick's delinquent youths carries a slingshot in their back pockets. Yeah, a bit like Dennis the Menace. But they do not use them to launch marbles or conkers, no. Nothing so twee. They instead launch knives. And swords. And sometimes, with slingshots that are a bit bigger than pocket size, they launch each other. And as they sail through the air, they contort themselves into flying kick poses and let out terrible kung fu shrieks before knocking pensioners over front garden walls into wheelie bins. But the most prevalent of all the evils that the Limerickese live with, the one that is collectively jammed into their brains like so many HB pencils up so many nostrils, is the Limerick Shanker. What? Yes, the Limerick Shanker, a most heinous, a most demonic serial killer. I'm going to stop you there, Barney. Don't be talking to me as if there's a serial killer in the south of Ireland that I somehow haven't heard of. I would have seen it on the news. 
Or I'm sure Tarbity would have mentioned it in, in the mornings. Oh, Malcolm, Malcolm, Malcolm. That's not my name. You assume I speak of a mortal menace. What do you... He's a ghost! Ah, here. Or maybe she's a ghost. Or they. Regardless, for as long as the land of Limerick has been host to civilized society, so since March 1977, said society has been haunted by the bloody, merciless specter that is the Limerick Shanker. So ingrained is the fear of the Shanker and the collective Limerickese unconsciousness, so inherently known are the dark tales, that before Limerickese babes are taught even to crawl or walk or goo or ga, they are taught to watch their fucking backs, lest a Shanker run them through. Some Limerickese, upon reaching maturity, elect to pair off with each other in ways beyond love and matrimony, and agree to spend the rest of their days tied together back to back, with bits of rope or, or maybe a lot of sellotape, and then they get around as bizarre facsimiles of crabs or something, just so that they'll double their chances of seeing the shanker coming as they walk to the shops to get some milk or go to the cinema to see the latest Marvel adventure. One lady, a Margaret O'Neill of Mungret, in 1995 made the grim decision to have her head surgically turned around so as to eternally be watching her back. Then, on one cruel winter's night, she was stabbed in the front by the shanker. Lorcan gave this raving loon a spitty pshh, pshh all you want. You're walking into the belly of the beast. That place is a sickness, and it just so happens that that sickness stabs people until they are dead and then disappears into the ether afterwards. Oh, and I have left out one very salient point. What, did his best mate's Casper? That although the Shanker has made veritable meat piles of the local Limerickese over the years, there is one kind of victim that this spectral menace, that this freaky, deaky, boogity-woogity, much prefers to make stab victims of. Dubliners. Ha! See, now I know you're talking chewing gum, Barney. Everyone in Ireland loves Dubliners. We're the country's stalwart leaders, global representatives, agony ants. No one, not even made-up spookies, would ever hurt a hair on any of our heads. We're just too likeable. I fear that notion will be challenged on your journey, my friend. And the challenge may cost you your life. It was at this point that Glenda McGee, a fellow proud employee of Parker's Knives and Forks, leaned back out of her nearby cubicle and said with a laugh, Lorcan, what's old Barney Bumpimple going on about now? Don't you mind him, he only talks to hear himself talk. And then Bruce Burke, another employee, leaned back out of his cubicle and said wryly, Barney, for such an old short man, sure tell a lot of tall tales. And further back in the office, another guy, Jimmy Flaherty, leaned out and said, CUNT! Lorcan gave his workmates a knowing smile and an exaggerated shrug of agreement, and when he looked back at Barney Bumpimple, the old man had disappeared. Well, not disappeared, he was sort of sidling away. His back was dragging against a nearby wall while keeping a mad glare locked to Lorcan. Well, as best he could without stepping into anything. The waste paper basket, the bulletin board, the coat rack that all lay in his path. He looked a bit like someone who had come to a costume party dressed as James Bond and was a bit pissed and was laying it on way too thick. Way too thick, indeed. Lorcan had not thought about that old fool since that day, since watching him sidestep away into the ladies' toilets accidentally. And he felt foolish. He felt like a right old pillock for thinking of him now. 
and could scarcely believe what two words were tumbling around the inside of his brain like your brown ergonomic California leather wallet in the back pocket of your jeans accidentally put into the wash. Limerick Shanker, Limerick Shanker, Limerick Shanker. Oh come on, he said to himself, or indeed he wanted to say to himself, but his breath was caught in his throat and his words could not punch through it. He wanted to say aloud, you are Lorcan Connolly of Parker's Knives and Forks. Will you give credence to the words of the oldest, most hunchbackiest man in your office? Will you hear some random limerick noise and suddenly have your manhood fling off like a male stripper's tearaway pants? No, limerick shanker indeed. It was probably just the sound of a local underway back from the pub, with a head full of melancholy and a belly full of smithics. But when he strained his gaze forward to have another look, he saw nothing and no one, and a low involuntary mule escaped him. And how strange, was all the ethereal mist about suddenly rising and thickening? And were the little fingers of the night's bitter chill now poking harder, perhaps having opted to accessorize with long garish press-on nails? He huddled deeper into his coat. Oh, how he longed tenfold now to be away from this wretched place. His apartment in Dublin wasn't particularly fancy, or even nice, honestly, but oh, how his hearth called to him now. A metaphorical hearth, obviously, that'd be crazy. What's more, Channel 4 had recently aired a program on the top 10 Coronation Street characters of all time, which he had giddily taped in his skybox as a lovely treat for when he got home. What he wouldn't give to be home now, curled up in a blanket, a cuppa in one hand and some rich teas in the other, dunking, dunking, dunking. And with happy eyes glued to the glow of the telly, nestled in this perfect cocoon, he would declare gleefully, I bet number one will be curly! But no, Limerick had him now. He was splayed in its leathery palm, and its fingers were slowly closing in to form a fist around him, and shake him up, and toss him away like a pair of dice, like some insidious game of craps, as one would no doubt find in one of Limerick's presumably numerous dirty back alleys or snooker hall smoking rooms. Lorcan's eyes darted to his shoes, to his hands, to his shoes again, to his knees, to his elbows, to his hands again, to his belly. He used looking as a way of not thinking. But Christ, did he wish that he'd kept his looking directed only towards his own frumpy self just then? Because when he hazarded a quick glance forward, he spied movement in the distance. He bounced on the bus shelter seat and let out a girlish yelp. This was the fourth girlish yelp of his entire life. The first was at the developmental realization of his own mortality at the age of four. The second was during his first orgasm. The third was when he checked his bank account after a wild night out in Temple Bar with Maka and the lads. And now the fourth made for a worthy addition. He was sat looking at the road from a horizontal perspective, and on the other side of it, all he could just about make out was a metal barrier at about average penis vagina height that ran perpendicular to the road. The baffling lack of any streetlights in the area meant that he could not see what lay beyond the barrier. It could have been a field, another road, a laser dome for all he knew, that'd be cool. But at that moment he had seen something move, or someone, just behind that barrier. And due to the thick, soupy darkness, that something, or one, could have been crouched right there, just out of view, peering at Lorcan from across the road. He was properly frightened now. Limerick Shanker, Limerick Shanker, Limerick Shanker. Oh, shut up, Barney, you old twat, he silently said to his own reverberating memory. What the hell do you know? 
You're the only employee at Parker's Knives and Forks who didn't win one of those quasi-pretend Employee of the Week awards. That time they were briefly introduced to boost morale after poor Faker Dow tried to take his own life in the office with only a hole punch and some hole punch confetti. So shut up! But the implanted idea of the Limerick Shanker and the unknown movement he had witnessed across the road had become intrinsically linked in Lorcan's brain now, their bond only strengthened by the general bad juju that was all around him. No, couldn't be real, he rasped. There's no such thing as the Limerick Shanker. I am not afraid. And as he spoke those words, it was as if some kind of spell was successfully activated, and another voice suddenly rang out in the cavernous annals of Lorcan's memories, deftly silencing the vapid bullshittery of Barney Bumpimple. It was his father's voice, and it enunciated like a mighty king, or like Jesus Christ himself, that top fucking lad. The words that rang out were the last words that Lorcan's father had ever spoken to him, as he sat Lorcan on his knee, just after telling him that, honestly, Irish Rail was a joke, and it was just way easier for him to live with his second family in Longford from now on. And those words were, Lorcan, don't you dare be no yellow-bellied, pigeon-hearted, scaredy-cat. I mean, come on! The sudden recollection of that amazing and very considerate advice was like a jet of steam that shot Lorcan to his feet. And that jet of steam travelled up his arse, navigating his small intestines like an easy maze in a dumb puzzle book for stupid kids. And then it donkey-konged its way up his esophagus, emerging from his mouth as a mighty shout. Oi! If you're the Limerick Shanker, you better come out now and stop being such a nuisance! I'm from Dublin! He waited. Nothing. And in the red mist of this magically summoned confidence, he took that silence as an insult. Without giving his brain time to start telling his mouth to start going, whoa, 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 his eyes locked onto a grubby little stone on the ground. He quickly scooped it up. It was actually a calcified piece of chewing gum, but there was no turning back now. He hurled it with a Maria Sharapova grunt straight across the road, where it clanged against a metal barrier with an almighty racket. It was as if Limerick itself waited on tenterhooks then to see what would happen next. Adrenaline made Lorcan's breath deep and ragged and unpleasantly sex-like. And then, amazingly, but inevitably, this could have been the only end result of Lorcan's brave madness. There was movement again. He had not imagined it the first time, for now his eyes were as focused and keen as... Uh, Roy Keen. Uh, yeah. Something moved. It peeled from the darkness. It bounced over the metal barrier. I swear to God, Lorcan did a cartoon at that point. It was a duck! Oh, it's a duck, Lorcan cried. Yes, a duck. And not only a duck, but also an adorable line of baby ducks, which are called ducklings, following after her, bombing along all happy and chirpy. Lorcan watched him waddle off down the road, his mouth half agape as it suddenly creased into a smile. He sighed the biggest sigh of his life and fell back onto the bus shelter seat. It was a duck, he said. And not only a duck, a gaggle of adorable baby ducks, which are called ducklings. I should have known. Now it did occur to him that it was passing strange to see a mother duck and its young just sort of pottering about on a dark, ominous night like this. But he just hand-waved the thought away. And you should too, dear listener. I mean, you've stuck around this long. Just meet me halfway here. Come on. Lorcan basked in the warmness of relief. Limerick Shanker. As if. He felt like a tit for getting himself so worked up. And he felt like an even bigger, rounder, firmer tit for listening to the spit-addled drivel of Barney Bumpimple, 
who by all accounts was a total shit. And hey, just then, as if to reward his relapse back into common sense, a light snagged at the corner of his eye, and he leaned forward to see distant headlights away up the road, as well as the softly illuminated face of an encroaching bus. Fucking finally. He checked the ambiguous time device on his wrist. Mr. Bus, you're as late as a... But he had no energy for similes. He was spent. He was just glad to finally be going home. He stood up and stepped forward with a pointless clearing of the throat. He put his hands in the pocket of his coat. He sniffed in some air. He looked up at the sky without really taking anything in. All this in the manner of someone whose life had momentarily been reduced to only waiting. Then he thought, God, it's taking its time. And he looked up the road again to see that, yeah, it really was taking its time. Although it was certainly coming towards him, it was moving at a snail's pace. And it seemed to lurch and sway awkwardly as it came. Maybe the road was pocked with potholes along the way. Or maybe the bus's struggling engine heaved and rattled and shook the whole thing about. Honestly, both were likely. But in the potent dimness, it really did seem like just an odd sight to Lorcan. It was hard to define exactly, but it was like no bus he had ever seen before. Hey, Barney Bumpimple, he thought. Maybe instead of warning me about made-up serial killers and bogeymen, you should have warned me about Limerick's weird-ass buses, <laughs> you dickhead. So Lorcan just grinned and bared it, waiting with his arms folded, his head cocked ever so slightly to exude confusion in a passive-aggressive kind of way, and he watched as what must have been the slowest, most shaky bus in all of Ireland made its way towards him. Until at last, Lorcan had obtained the one thing he had wanted throughout this entire story, the sight of a fucking bus right in front of his fucking face. He tapped his foot as he waited for the door to open, smiling widely but falsely. He tried to glimpse his own reflection in the glass pane of the door, but it was completely cloudy. How odd. In fact, he couldn't see through it at all. Weird, he thought. Time passed. Not a lot of time, but a whole heap of time to be waiting for something as simple as a bus driver opening a door for a waiting passenger. Once the length of the wait had frankly entered the realm of a comedy farce, and not in a good way like a Noel Edmund house party, in a bad way like a Michael Barrymore house party, Lorcan just said to himself, Ah, of hell with this, and he rocked right up and just knocked on the glass pane of the door. But no knockity knock knock came. It felt soft on his knuckles, like fabric. No, bubble wrap? What on earth? Lorcan muttered. Okay, Limerick, you must be having me on now. What sort of dog and pony? At the end of his tether, he stomped around to the front of the bus, hoping to leer up at the driver, maybe give him a vaguely rude gesture with an arm or two. But as he faced the front of the bus, he felt compelled to stop. He took the whole bus in, or the front of it at least. Yeah, it was a bus. There were the headlights. There was the front window. There was the window wipers. But now that it was directly in front of him, and inches from his nose, and not halfway down a darkened road, he couldn't help but suddenly notice that something was definitely, terrifyingly, off. Was that... Paper mache Just at that moment, but far, far away in the land of Dublin, Barney Bumpimple awoke in his dirty cot, which was in a dirty one-bedroom Dublin apartment, which was in the storeroom of a Supermax slash Papa John's. He awoke in a state of utter bewilderment, but a single crystal-clear thought bobbed up to the top of the scum-laired pond that was his brain. Hmm, maybe I should have told that fella at work, before he headed off to Limerick. 
that the Limerick Shanker is said to often get the jump in his victims by disguising himself in an elaborate bus costume. Hmm. Oh well. The bus shanked Lorcan. Deep right between his tits. In utter shock, he shakily gazed down at the monstrous blade, like a naked and confused drunk looking down at his own vomit on his own penis. But just as he could barely come to horrible terms with the blade's sheer size, the penetrative deepness of it, it was yanked right out of him again. And it brought with it a thick fountain of blood, like a soda stream, but one that served blood, not Diet Coke, not Diet Sprite, definitely not Diet Fanta. He clutched the wound, out of instinct, out of panic, just to stop the dreadful gushing of blood. His eyes bulged in his crusty sockets. He mouthed silent, panicked words like a goldfish hopelessly trying to warn its oblivious owner that, look, you're after setting fire to a tea towel on the hob. And then his legs gave way. He careened backwards, landing with the dullest of thuds on the cold limerickese ground. The contents of his pants and coat spilled out everywhere. His phone, some change, his wallet, his member's lanyard from Dublin's Better Body Gym. Oh hey, he was looking for that. And all became immediately sullied by the pooling, sickly dark blood that quickly gathered around our poor Lorcan. Though his senses were severed, replaced with blinding pain and childlike confusion and despair, he was vaguely, ever so vaguely aware of the bus scampering away into the blur of the world. And he was left there, alone, to die. And so there Lorcan Connolly lay, spasming and bleeding and whimpering. If there were any words that he wished to cry out, they would be forever lost, for he choked on them too, along with the blood and the bile. His mind was choking too. It struggled for clarity, for understanding, but all was too unfathomable. So he simply bled, and dark, deep lifeblood was not the only thing that seeped from him. He also bled out any hopes, any dreams he may have had, any future potential, any possible successes, any joys, big or small, and the little poo came out. All was gone, snuffed away by the cold embrace of Limerick and her legendary Shanker, as Lorcan Connolly's final trumpety breath tooted forth from his farty, farty mouth. And if this was a film, and it's not, it's an audiobook, but bear with me, if this was a film, we would pull out on a wide shot now, and see that the only witness to this sad and grisly scene is the pale full moon gazing down in silence from far, far up above. And a CCTV camera caught maybe the corner of it too. The end. Thank you for listening to the Irish Curated Archive of Scary Stories and taped episodes of Quantum Leap's Reading of The Limerick Shanker by Liam Sheehan. If you, or any of your loved ones, have been affected by the story you just heard, find the nearest mirror and give yourself a cheeky wink. I don't know why it works, but it does. The author of this story would like to make it clear that he has great love for both Limerick and Dublin but must stand by all the ignorant things he said about them due to a witch's curse. And, thanks for joining, dear listener. Don't forget to spook the door on your way out. 
I don't know what that means.